You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. What up, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of 2, 5, and 10. I am not with Benny this week recording, but at the same time, we do have a very, very big special guest host with us, El Chino Maslindo Del Mundo. I got about 25 years, 26 years of friendship with this animal. Fast Phil, right. welcome to the 2, 5, and 10 podcast. What a pleasure to be on, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm disappointed Benny's not here. I hear he, uh, you know, he's got a thing for Asians, so I was kind of hoping to uh, tap into that, but it doesn't seem like we're going to have that. Maybe next time. I mean, now that he knows that the door is open, though, you never know where it could go. So you never know when love <laughs> will strike. Um, a lot of things happened this week. Me and Benny refer to it just in text alone of the dominoes that end up falling and how things fall into place. A couple of huge free agent sign, well, restricted free agent signings this week. We will right. see as to your thoughts and opinions on all of it. I guess we will jump right into the first big one that we had. We had... Mitch Marner in the Toronto Maple Leaf saga finally coming to an end, and he got paid very handsomely. It is a total of a six-year deal worth a total of $65 million, $358,000. We'll just call it $65. Your thoughts on everything that happened? I mean... They are in some trouble up there contract-wise because they have some very hefty numbers on their books, about $40 million just about in four players. What are your thoughts on all that? I think it's going to be very hard to win that championship that they're looking for with a roster constructed like that. I think when you have so much money tied up in four guys like that, even though they are all great players, I mean, you have to wonder where where are they going to be able to find the money to to find these depth pieces. You know, I mean, I think the last couple of years have really shown the importance of having, you know, a second and third line presence and being able to score goals with different lines. So I think it's going to be very difficult. I think it was very, very strange that they bid that they allowed Marner to dictate what feels to me like so much of the terms and letting him to really set that market. Uh, for future RFAs, especially given where they are uh, cap-wise and with their other players signed up to such big deals. With you saying that, I got a question for you because I talked to our buddy we had on the podcast, Oshiriso, and he said to me, and he says it constantly, that Kyle Dubas is not ready for this job. And Mm. with something Mm -hmm. like this, I mean, do you feel that way just because going off of last year for what, William Nylander ended up signing for it. Nylander, Nylander, however the fuck you say it. I, I say it the <laughs> same wrong way every time. But <laughs> yeah. um, it seemed like what he held out for and what he got was kind of what people expected him to get. So to yeah. me, it was just kind of a little strange that they had this long of a holdout. I feel the same way about Marner in the sense of, I mean, I thought ballpark he was going to get paid the same as Matthews. I thought they were going to have to be on the same track to keep everybody happy. He comes in just under. One question I have is, well, that was a question, is Dubas soft? But the other one is, with this contract being so signed bonus heavy, do you find that as an advantage to a team like Toronto just because they have the money to pay that out, whereas other yeah, teams like Florida yeah, or like Carolina? They, they, you know, I mean, money is no object to them. I mean, I mean, if there were no cap, God knows what they would be spending on players. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably, you know, they probably see that as, as advantageous in sort of their their long-term budgeting. But, yeah, I mean, about Dubois, I mean, I think that he, yeah, he, he has not really shown the ability to have that killer instinct when closing a deal. I mean, we saw it last year with Nylander, and now we're seeing it this year where in that staring contest, it looks like he's been the one to blink first, and it's looked like he's been the one to sort of, to give in, to sort of make that deal happen. And... Yeah, I don't know what it what it says to the other players. I mean, I don't know what it's going to say to their future RFAs. I mean, you know, they've got some guys coming up, um, you know, Dermot, a few other players in the next year or so. And I mean, it, I, I don't know what kind of message that sends um, to guys who are not only going to be RFAs, but also who may be negotiating free agent deals with them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely something to say that maybe, you know, uh, at, at the very least, it's not his strong suit. And at worst, yeah, maybe he is a little in over his head when it comes to negotiating these kind of 
deals and, and these kind of standoffs. At the same time, can you blame Marner? Because you know what Matthew signed for. You know what Tavares got. And he played every game last year. He played all, all 82 games for him. I think when it comes to his versatility, he's better than Austin Matthews in the sense of he's power play, penalty kill, even strength. Like, he plays all situations. Matthews doesn't. And I understand there is always going to be the argument of the center always does more compared to the winger. Mm -hmm. But I feel like these guys together, I mean, they're kind of apples to apples, except Marner doesn't have an injury history. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and I do agree that there there is some versatility there that definitely provides value. I mean, being more of a 200-foot player, being a guy who can do more things on special teams. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some value there. And so, no, I mean, it is it is hard to blame a guy. Um, you know, but I think, um, and we'll get to this later, I mean, I think it sort of speaks to maybe something organizationally. You know, when you see your contemporaries being paid that much and you want to get paid that much too, I think that has to have some kind of impact, be it, you know, subconscious or out in the open where, yeah, I mean, you, you, you want to get paid what you're worth. And a lot of times the, the people you look at are the guys in your own locker room. And, um, and I don't blame him for, for wanting to, to get those dollars because again, you know, he, he does a lot for that team and, you know, he's just as valuable as Matthews, even, uh, playing the wing. And it, it makes sense to me. Um, it's just, you know, maybe not the best situation for the Leafs going forward, uh, in terms of their cap number. Yeah, and the other thing is these guys that you have to rely on, you touched on it. Like, that's scary. What if Janssen doesn't have a good year? Like, what if Kapanen isn't the Kapanen that showed up before? You are completely tied to, obviously, the top three, Marners, Matthews, and Tavares. But Nylander falls into that category, too. You're going to have to sign your defenseman and Morgan Wright. Like, they have a nightmarish scenario in... Benny talked about it a lot, and I think he's right with one thing. They're kind of starting to remind me of the San Jose Sharks a little bit, where at some point you're going to have to start getting rid of some of these guys. And I don't think you can let go of Matthews or Marner or Tavares just for your Mm franchise-wise, but I think William Nylander's probably going to have to go at some point. Like, If he comes in and he can be a David Pasternak for you and get you Pasternak points on the board. I think he's well worth the money, but last year, was it the holdout? Was it, he thought he was better than he was like, he was shit after he signed. He had an awful oh, year. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. How ineffective he was. Yeah. So like, I, I'm just worried for them. And I mean, it's great for the Bruins for, for the record, just to clarify that I know Ben would put in a Rangers pun here. So, I mean, it's great for the Bruins <laughs> and them being in our division, but like, organizationally or as a fan, there has to be some worry here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at, you know, you want to talk about, you know, what's your window? I mean, Muzzin's going to be up. Tyson Barry's going to be up. I mean, you're not going to be able to keep either of them, it doesn't feel like. I mean, they're both going to be going to be in for raises. And so, you know, you have to think about what what is that, what's this team going to look like, you know? I mean, they have, you know, I was checking out Cap Friendly today, and that number is zero. I mean, they have they have zero wiggle room. So, you know, and then if you want to talk about adding a depth piece at the deadline, you're going to have to do all these complicated things to, to make that work. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough spot for them. They're really, they're really banking on the guys they have in that room. And because there's no reinforcements going to be coming along, it doesn't feel like. And, and is it true, I mean, this would be a, a dad joke, that cap friendly is not very friendly to them? <laughs> I would say I would say that it is not being very friendly at all right now, man. Looking at that number, it is, it is rough. It is rough to see. And then they they don't they only have a second round pick next year. They don't have a first or a third. They they do have Columbuses, but it's it's a it's a tough spot for them. Yeah. Well, so we will see the saga unfold up north as to what is in store for the Maple Leafs this year. Looking Hopefully, to, El Chorizo can sing the uh, sing the anthem again next year. No, we'll have to do something better. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I do love that man, though. I love going on his uh, Instagram lives and the shit that comes out of his mouth. He is an absolute beauty. So, oh yeah, he's a riot. He is a riot. Um, looking else around the league and other places, Josh Morrissey also signed an eight year extension worth fifty million six point two five a year. Another guy along extension, Ivan Provorov down in Philadelphia, six years at 6.75 a year. Your thoughts on either of those? Um, 
I think the Provorov deal felt fair to me. I mean, I think that, you know, Philly has been looking for a long time to sort of find that solidifying presence on the defensive end. You know, that 25 to 27 minute a game guy, you know, especially when you get later in the season into the playoffs. So I think, you know, that that's a good a good gamble for them to take. I think that, you know, they were in a situation where um, Provorov might have even, you know, demanded more money. You know, I think that, you know, he would have had some leverage uh, to to at least ask for more. So it feels to me like a good compromise deal. It feels to me like, you know, there'll still be a window for him to sign another big contract and, and sort of see where his situation's at in six years. So it feels fair to both to both sides, and it feels like it, it'll be a, a good move. And I think he's, he's a real solid player for them. Um, as far as Morrissey, I mean, I, I am not so sure. I, I, you know, I think that they're, they've lost, you know, a lot of depth uh, up in Winnipeg. And I think that that is going to be um, an interesting thing to see how it, it affects them throughout the course of the season. And um, it felt to me like it was a move that they felt like they had to make. They had to lock this guy down with all the other players that they lost, Truba included. You're welcome, Ben. Um, and, um, yeah, I think I, I, I actually would say that that's maybe a little more than I thought he'd get, though, to be honest. Maybe a little more at 6.25. I'd say that's a little more. Just a little. I, I agree with you on the amount. I, I thought it was a little high at the same time. I'm with you. Like, there's a lot of people that have moved, and I think they needed the commitment part locked down. Like, they needed him to be there, and I think that was probably their biggest thing was just certainty as to now we have him locked down and he'll be here for a while. And right, six point two five. And I saw is is, is unsure if he's going to come back or not sure about what what he's going to be up to for uh, for next season. So that's that's a that'd be another really big blow. Um, with with how thin their defense looks going into this season. So would my prediction currently, at least on paper, of Winnipeg not making the playoffs be a good one? Because I think I might take the Ben Stradamus. Uh, I, I might take Ben Stradamus this year. But but I Case mean, Stradamus think, doesn't have know, a good we'll, flow. We'll see what happens with Line A, but I mean, it, you know, I think the, the, the thing about Line A that, that makes it so tough is I think he, he, if you look at it from one perspective, you know, he's he's a rare sniper, rare talent. But if he's not scoring goals, what's he really doing for you? And I think that 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 creates, you know, this really big gulf and sort of what he might expect for that kind of production. But what a team might say, you know, look at your look at your deficiencies, look at what you don't do well. So I think that'll be interesting. You'll see how it shakes out. And that's going to be a huge, a huge factor. And um, and then you have to wonder what what kind of condition he's going to come into the season if this is a, a, a longer holdout. So. I would. I, I might get on that. I might get on that Ben Stradamus train with you guys. I mean, it's gonna be. It's gonna be tough. It's always a tricky division. I think some teams have really improved there, and so, yeah, it's it's definitely gonna be a battle for them. Definitely gonna be a tough push to make it to the playoffs again. All right, now heading up to where we are in the beautiful state of Massachusetts. Beautiful. Beautiful, and uh, Charlie McAvoy. The holdout is over. I think Zach Wierenski kind of set the market for him a little bit as to what's happening but at the same time it is a three-year deal average annual value of 4.9 i am very curious as to after this is done this contract what he signs for because the rumors that had gone around this year were already crazy enough as to charlie wanted eight and eight or he wanted more than eight and eight and then you end up seeing this, and you're like, wow, I, I think the Bruins stole him for a couple of years. I don't think there was any question about that. And on top of it, they luck out because when the contract expires, he's still an RFA, not a UFA, which is huge. Yep, Your absolutely. thoughts on locking up the future and Charlie McAvoy in general? I think I think they couldn't have done better. I think a bridge deal was always the way to go. I mean, I think you know, you, you see the talent. I mean, we, we see it on a nightly basis, the way he carries the puck the way he can control the game in all three zones. Uh, you just have to kind of worry about his, about his health and the injury risk. I mean, some of them have been kind of, kind of fluky injuries, but you know, a guy with a, with a heart problem, even if, you know, they say it's under control for now. I mean, you have to, you have to sort of wonder about the long-term viability of somebody with that kind of issue. And I think that the bridge deal is great. The cap, the, the dollar figure is certainly fantastic. And if he is everything we hope, if he's sort of that drew Doughty type, shut down defenseman with that edge to his game, then yeah, I think that you might be looking at a guy that, that might be making eight figures um, AAV when when three years is up. Um, 
but yeah, I think Donnie did extremely well. Um, locking him up, I think it was a great a great deal. It gave them enough to sign who we're going to talk about next, I'm sure. And you know, the the thing that I was I was talking to, to Sam about was just that I think it speaks to organizationally. You know, thinking about the Leafs and thinking about how they're they're so top heavy, and then you look at the Bruins and they're getting you know you know Pasternak and Marshawn or Bergeon and Pasternak, you know any of combination of those two for basically the same price of either Matthews or, or Marner. And I think it's hard as a guy like McAvoy, who I'm sure probably has a lot of respect for the way those guys go about their game and the process and, and playing hard night in and night out. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, ask them to break the bank when you see guys doing that. And I think, you know, that organizational structure is, is something that's really special for the Bruins and something that is, you know, obviously helped them. I think, uh, to a degree in negotiating with, you know, with Pasternak last year and now this year with McAvoy and with Brandon Carlo. Yeah, I think Donnie has a massive pair of balls on him because <laughs> I, 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 no, man, I do. Like, I, I know Donnie hates me after the, the night out and everything else, but um, <laughs> it, it was just one of those things to me where I couldn't believe like he got him to sign for that. And I understand the Wierenski comparison and, you know, maybe we, we lucked out on that big time. Mm-hmm. But one thing I kept seeing, and like you said, as to the organization, I, I keep seeing these memes after uh, Mitch Marner signed and it's like, you know, I'll do anything to win the cup. And then it's like sign for less. And then it's like shaking his head, like the Drake look like, no, nah, I won't do yep, that. Yep. And like <laughs> I, I had it. It was like, it was funny. And, but that's the way I kind of feel like I said it in the springtime or it was the summer at some point that if the Bruins are going to break the bank for McAvoy, like that's something that they haven't done before. Like this is yeah. not the place people go to get paid. This is the pay- place people go to play and contribute and try to win a Stanley cup. And yes. maybe it's the bill Belichick, do your job or whatever you want to call it. But it just seems like, these are two different places between Boston and Toronto as to what people want from there. And I think a huge part of it too is them trading away Patrick Marlowe, I think kind of killed it a little bit for Marner because Marner loved Marlowe. And now without him there and basically the money that was going to go to Marlowe, he took like, it's almost like the royalties or organizational, whatever's best for the team is it's a little on the backside. And we could probably agree right now that come April, they're on a crash course for another two, three battle again. Yep. And that's, and that's, you know, and that, and that's kind of, you know, the, the, the thing about this, this playoff format is that, you know, as soon as, as soon as 2017, 2018, the playoffs ended, you know, we looked forward to 2018, 19. We're like, well, you know, we're probably going to see them again. And now here we are in 2019 and we're looking forward to to the spring of 2020, and we're saying the same thing. You know, we're we're probably going to see these guys again. I mean, Montreal's still a good team, but they didn't really make any moves that make me, makes me feel like they're going to leap leap into the top three of the of the division. Tampa hasn't really done anything that makes me think they're not going to to have, be the best regular season team of the three. So yeah, it does feel like they're going to be on a crash course again, and it'll probably be a game seven, and again it'll probably come down to, to who's at home, who's at home for that game seven, you know. Um, so it'll be, I, I would be very surprised if we saw anything other than that again, come April. All right. Well, going to the other defensive partner that ended up signing, the Bruins ended up signing Brandon Carlo on a two year deal, average annual value of 2.85. And yet again, man, like hats off to Donnie for a bringing this team in under the cap because they had an absolute nightmare of doing that. And there was a whole lot of questions as to people that have to be sent out what to do with certain players and for this whole team to be under the cap a i'm extremely impressed but b do you see any other team with a better defensive core than the bruins because i don't i think i think depth wise i don't and i mean you look back to you know 2016 2017 when they had all these injuries and the the ottawa series and you know they they were in it and they could have had a chance but they really saw that defensive depth get chipped away at. And I think that was when they decided at that point, man, we are going to have eight or nine NHL quality defensemen so that when the time comes, especially because we have guys who are older like Chara, guys with injury history like Kevin Miller, we're going to be ready. 
and you saw some of those guys step in last year as well. And John Moore is is no no star by any means, but he was more than serviceable when he had to cut, step in during the playoffs. And we saw Clifton play well as well during the playoffs. And so I think that's that is, you know depth when we talk about organizational structure and you think about building a top heavy team versus a team with depth. You can clearly see that the Bruins have you know yeah I agree probably the best eight eight man defensive core in the league. I mean it's it's very very good top to bottom, and I think that's a real credit. To not only have those guys, but to get everyone under the cap, to get Carlo at 2.8. Um, you know, we know he's not a scorer, you know, but he's only going to get better. And I think he's only going to fill out more physically, become more of a physical force. I mean, he already has the height and already has, you know, some of those attributes that, that would really make him, you know, a number one shutdown defenseman, if not sort of your number one guy who can who can play all, all three phases of the game. But I think he has a tremendous future and a tremendous role with his team, and it's also going to be interest, interesting to see how his point production increases or does not over the next couple of years. Because um, I think I was reading, um, you know, Fluid Ocean's Hour, The Athletic, and, you know, just talking about how, you know, if, if, if he wants to get, you know, sort of in that six, six and up range for a defenseman, um, you know, the, there's going to need to be just a little more point production, just a little more driving of offense um, in addition to the defense that he brings. Countering that, I mean, talk about a breakout postseason as being a shutdown defenseman. And then, oh. you know, like, d- the contract's well-deserved. Probably could have got paid more, in my opinion. But with mm-hmm. it, I mean, if he can continue this path that he just carved out this spring, like, I think he's fine defensively. I don't have any questions there. But no. like you said, if he can actually contribute to, uh, talk about another steal that these guys have. Another guy that would be mm-hmm. coming off as an RFA. Like, no one else can get their hands on him until we get done with it. Like, Don Sweeney, man. And, and, and I give Sweeney a lot of shit. I am, but hats off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he is not fighting. He's perfect, and he's had some swings and misses. I mean, Bolesky, Bacchus, we've seen those. But, yeah, when it comes to negotiating with his own guys, I mean, he knows how to keep them, and he knows how to, to get them to buy in and say, hey, you know, if you take a little bit less money, you know, we could have – you know, a situation where we're going to be right in the hunt year in and year out. And I think that's not necessarily a given for teams or for, for organizations. And I think also Cassidy deserves a lot of credit. I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, it's pretty clear to me, and maybe it also says something about Mike Babcock in Toronto, but I think when you have a coach that guys want to play for, that definitely helps in the negotiating room as well. So I think there's, there's something to be said there as well, not just from the front office, but from the head coach as well. I agree completely. Um, we're already on the Bruins, so we might as well talk about them. Um, your thoughts and expectations for as to what this year may or may not bring or certain players, or what do you got? So I'm going to be looking at the health of the top two centers. I mean, I'm going to be looking a lot, and I think that will decide if they sort of stay where they were at, sort of that you know, 107, 110-point range, or if maybe they drop down a little bit. I mean, you know, maybe in the low hundreds. I mean, a difference of, you know, three or four wins. Um, I think I think Bergeron's nagging injuries are definitely concerning. He's got a lot of miles on his tire. He's he always plays the game hard. Um, you know, plays plays all three zones, all three all three facets of the game. So uh, that that for me I think is is a pretty big question mark, um, or at least concern coming into this season. Um I like the depth that they have. I mean, I think that they're definitely going to be right there. The looking at the front of their schedule, which you were just doing, is it's going to be tough. I mean, they got Vegas, they've got Colorado and Dallas on that first road trip. They open up with Dallas on the third, um, and then they've got Toronto twice. They've got a home and home with Toronto and Tampa and St. Louis at the end of the month. So it's it's going to be a tough go. Um, certainly for the first uh, first month of the season, I think we'll we'll learn a lot and we will see sort of how how some guys have improved. Um, I think I'd definitely like to see some more consistency from DeBrusque. Um, definitely had a phenomenal run last year, though. I mean, he he was one of catalysts of that team during the win- during you know their winning streak. I think it was around February, March. Um, but I'd love to see more consistency and see him maybe become you know a consistent thirty goal scorer. Um, so I'm I'm very interested to to see the young how well the health of the older guys hold up and the development of of some of the younger players. I, I did see one thing. I saw DeBrusque came in with the mullet, and the only problem I have with it is it doesn't even compare to the one that you had going a couple of years back. Um, oh, no, not at all. 
Uh, no, this, and, dude, this dude's got a way to go. <laughs> no, it, it was just I saw it and I I saw the picture and they were like, oh, he comes with a full on mullet. I'm like, that is not a full on mullet. That like yeah, that's, that's, that's that's like a C C plus. Being generous. I was gonna say uh, C is being generous. Like it, it, <laughs> there's there's some greasy lettuce there, but that is not a mullet by any means. He'll get there. He'll get there. We hope. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. No. Um. I'm with you. The the two centermen's health is definitely concerning, considering Patrice Bergeron, like you said, arguably your best player. David Krejci, who is your highest paid player. It, you obviously expect results, and injuries, of course, can definitely hinder that, and it is unfortunate. But it's like, it, it could be scary, because if those two go down and it's long term, yeah, they I don't mean, have a lot of center depth. No, like, I, I mean, mean it, or at least not not a number one or number two center. Yeah, like, like we could rely on the kids, but I mean that's only temporary. And mm-hmm. one thing you said, which could be visited at some point during this year, is we have a f- great, great top eight. Yes. With that, do you see someone dispersing if we need to? Kevin Miller, John Moore. Stephen Camfer, like someone, one of them would be gone. I mean, I, I think they would keep Grizzlick. There's no question about that. They'd keep Clifton just due to age. So I think it kind of puts Miller and Moore out there. But I don't know. It's I think just they nervous. could. I think they'd move on from Moore if if it were up to me. I think he's his skill set is a little bit more redundant. I think you know Miller is much more of an injury risk. We've seen that. Um, you know, you feel for the guy because he does play the game so hard, but. Um, he he does bring something when he's healthy that they they definitely could have used last year, especially against a team like St. Louis, if he were available. Um, and Moore just feels like I said a little bit more redundant, a little bit more of a speed speed based guy. And I think that um, if they could, I mean, there's he's got a lot, he's got a lot more term. But I think if they could move on, they would probably move on for more. Well, one question one question I have for you with that is Matt Grizzlick on the books this year for one point four before going back into restricted free agency. And then you have John Moore there for 2.75. I mean, you have to think Matt Grizzlick is going to come in at at least three and a half, at least. Yep, yep. I mean, especially if he continues he continues to emerge as a, as a point-scoring guy and continue to develop, you know, some, some chops on the power play. Absolutely. I think you could definitely see him getting up to that number. And then, yeah, you're going to have to move more. I mean, it might be easier with, you know, three years of term instead of four. I mean, he's certainly a serviceable back-end defenseman for some team, so... Um, that could be something worth exploring as uh, as they get later on in the season, and maybe there'll be a team that you know is just looking that has the cap space and is sort of looking for another depth defenseman for a stretch run. And John Moore certainly fits that bill for me. All right, now looking at it, uh, we haven't spoken to you about your thoughts on Tuka Rask last spring out of his mind. Your thoughts on Tuka in general, and probably one of the biggest things that has always come up with the Bruins fans your thoughts on David Backus and as to what will happen what won't happen mm-hmm. well we we touched on it I mean a little bit when when the Marlowe trade to, to Carolina came out you know I mean I feel like this team has a, a very a very quickly shrinking window to win another cup with this core and I would have been fine if they were would have been able to find a taker for Backus and his contract and to move out a first-round pick. Um, you know, you're going to be, you know, hopefully picking in the 20s, you know, early 20s at the at the very best, you know, maybe more closer to the, the late 20s or even the 30. Um, I think it would have been worth it to have explored a trade. Uh, you could have gone out. You could have got yourself the top six forward with some of that money. Um, maybe somebody like Michael Ferlin, who have always, always liked his game. Um, maybe someone like Anders Lee you could have bid on against the Islanders. Um so I, I, I was surprised and a little bit disappointed that they, they didn't try to move on from him, especially because it feels like it's going to be a tough time for him even to make the, the top 12 on this roster with Richie and Lindholm in here. Yeah, I agree with that completely. The, the only other thing is I, I think Don has showed the way he is with developing, like drafting and developing his own young talent. And unfortunately for him, he is missed on every free agent he's brought in. But that is true. on the other end, uh, the guys that he's drafted and developed are pretty good minus we don't have to talk about the 13, 14, 15 or 14, 15, 16 <laughs> issue. We're still waiting for Sinatra, aren't we? Yeah, we're still waiting for him. Uh, 
whole bunch of things. I know that's always going to be an asterisk on Don forever going forward. I mean, everyone's going to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you know, you had to, you had to hit on two of those picks. I mean, that, that was sort of how I felt. I mean, the borough kind of made sense to me. That was kind of the range people thought he'd get picked in. It was, it was the, you know, the, the right need at the time. But I think the reach for Sinition was was tough, and it did sort of feel to me like he was unprepared to make those three picks. Like he thought he was going to move up, and then when he wasn't able to move up and get Hannafin or somebody else, he was kind of like, oh, who are we going to take? You know, oh, shit, what are we going to do? Um, so, you know, it might have just been sort of a first-year first year thing for him in sort of feeling out the process of, of trying to make a deal on draft day with another team. Um, my my thing about their, their drafting is that it doesn't feel to me like they've, taken a shot on somebody that can actually replace Krejci or Bergeron. And I think that is is troubling to me. Uh, I, I like what I've heard about Beecher. Um, I think that, you know, Sunica could could really be a player. And I think Frederick could really, you know, give you some grit and be, be a second, but probably more like a third-line center. But I don't really see, you know, a 200-foot, you know, 70-point, a season guy. And I know that those guys don't grow on trees, but it sort of feels to me like they've gone for high floor, low ceiling guys at center. And that that's troubling when your two centers are, are have a lot of miles on them and are, are getting up there in age. So that's sort of a concern for you. And that's another reason why, I, at least for me, I feel like moving back us out, giving what you needed to do to get, to make that happen would have been a, a better move for this team. Even if it would have meant sacrificing a first round pick this year for, for the second year out of three, you know, and I know that is, that would be a tough pill to swallow, but I just feel like the window is closing. Uh, one guy I want to take a look at this year and see if he can make that jump is uh, Jakob Lako. I mean, came on at the end of the year, won the Memorial Cup, goes to the World Championships, absolutely tears it up. I just want yeah, to see if he can make that. Yeah, I want to. No, I just want to see if he can make that transition. I, I know it's a huge jump, and I just want to see one of these kids play and be effective like you said the stednikas the fredericks like i want to see them come up the other biggest question mark here is anders bjork like the the kid he comes he plays he gets hurt gets buried in providence and then you don't know it's like he looks good then he doesn't and then he gets hurt and back-to-back years season ended shoulder surgery like i don't know what to expect from him so maybe he can come in uh i mean he has nhl games so it's not like he's starstruck so we'll see what uh the season brings for him yeah and there were definitely there were definitely flashes i mean there were he definitely showed signs of being able to be a top six player but yeah like you said i mean he's just been derailed it's hard to it's hard to get adjusted to to that speed and that level of play when you're just you're just not there and you haven't been healthy so yeah i mean i i am definitely i'm with you i'm looking forward to see if if someone someone from the farm can make the jump i mean for years, I thought it was going to be Peter Salark. I, I was always sort of, I was always sort of fan of his game, what he brought, but it just never, never seemed to click. So I'm hoping that they can, they can find someone, um, someone down there to, to complement the forward core. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. This turned into a Bruins love fest, and it may have partially intended to be like that. So I'm glad you guys are still listening. Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty, and this is the shit people need to hear. Chino, let's discuss it. Ever since you were our first signing, Lizzie's in Harvard Square, I I just (laughs) want to know, you know, Stratford jumped on board after you. So, I mean, just to clarify, you were the the originator. You were the godfather. Our first RFA stayed on with (laughs) us. Are you guys able to keep the Lorenza five-hole crunch in stock? Because, I mean, it just goes right into people's mouths just like it goes right out of next five-hole. Your thoughts on stocking that? Oh my God. It just flies off the shelf when we get it in and people hear that the five hole crunch is back. I mean, they, they cannot, they cannot stop buying it. It's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's just, it's just so gaping of a hole. It's so inviting that how can, how can you not? And so it definitely is one of our top sellers. Um, Nick has taken his talents up to New Hampshire to play with a new team. Uh, unfortunately he has left us behind. Um, so they're going to get a taste of uh, some five-hole crunch up in New Hampshire now as well. So the market is definitely expanding. I was going to say, so are you thinking about putting a store in New Hampshire now, or what's going to go on with that? 
just just to spite Nick, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at places in Nashville. I'm seeing seeing what might make sense. You know, a little bit of a commute from from the drop off from the drop off place in Waltham up to Nashville. But you know, for this, I think I'll definitely make an exception for it, and we'll we'll see what we can do. But we would love to get some some five hole crunch uh, outside of the great state of Massachusetts. Well, I I am <laughs> one a fan of hearing that. Uh, a couple of other things we have you on. I just think we have to talk about. It. We need some old school stories to come out. One of them we need to address right now is the Sunday night hockey Mainzie hit. Because I think Mainzie is still upset about this. And um, I think he just wants to feel your love and um, your side of the story, more importantly. Mainzie, first off, I love you, buddy. No hard <laughs> feelings. But when you, in a full check game, a game we all agreed was going to be full check. We all had the shoulder pads. We all, we all knew what we were getting into. We all had a few, few cold ones in us. You turn back. And looked at me, and you were just like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to keep kind of, you know, going like I'm on a Sunday skate. I mean, I had to lay you out. I had, I had no choice, you know. And you look like John Elway on that, on that famous Super Bowl play, the, the helicopter dive. I mean, you did a full 360. He did a full 360 in the air. Oh, and, uh, like. It, and then raged out at Moises. Poor Moises after. Didn't even know what was going on. Didn't even know what country he was in. He was so stoned. Man, why is fucking Jason yelling at me, man? And. <laughs> You know, you, you know, you just you just gotta understand, Jason. It was just part of the game. It was all in fun, and yeah, I I got you good though. There's no doubt about that. I, I mean, if anything, <laughs> I should be the person who's most upset here because I had him lined up, and then you came across the railroad tracks and beat. Like I'm pretty sure I went to go hit him, but he wasn't there anymore. I, I launched uh, oh, and he no. wasn't there. I was like, what, where the fuck did he? Oh, ooh, ooh, he's spinning. This is gonna be a good one. So. <laughs> Uh, that was oh, a good man. one. Some good times, man. Some good times. I remember when you had when Sean Hanrahan lined up, and oh man, he he just missed the freight train. <laughs> he just missed it. Those boards rattled at Gore Street. <laughs> he was he was very lucky. Another another half second, and, and you'd still be peeling him off those gla- that glass. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, these things happen. Um, another incident we need to speak about. Uh, we had Big Kev over last week. I told him that you might be coming on the pod. He needs to hear about the stripping incident. That is his all-time favorite. You in the championship game. Shout out to Danny Poirier because uh, your ass got kicked out. I got to play and I scored a game-winning goal. Kiss my balls. And then um, <laughs> you ended up oh, a little man. slap well, shot. I mean, we, I, I, you know. I can still see that rest face, and I can, and I still remember how much he hated Danny, and he hated us and our team. So, Scotty gets kicked out. Tony Corso gets kicked out. We have you know three guys getting kicked out, and so I get a major penalty. Okay, the first one was probably a major penalty. I cross check the guy in the head. You know, it's understandable. Then I get out and I, I I bump a guy. I mean, I love tap him. It's like it's like the quarterback hits the NFL. You know, fifteen yard penalty. You, you know, barely touch him. Get another major penalty. So. I go to throw my stick and my glove comes off with it. And then all I can think of is slap shot. I'm just like, oh shit, you know, I might as well go with a bang. So the other glove comes off, the helmet comes off, the jersey comes off. I hear I hear Mary Rizzuto screaming and saying, pick up your stuff. So I'm off the ice. <laughs> Tony and fucking Scotty are jumping around like, oh shit, you fucking psychopath. And I'm like, oh no, Mary's going to kill me. So I skate back, scoop up all the shit, tell the ref to go fuck himself, go off the ice. And I knew, I knew. It was a moment in time when a few years later I was umpiring a little league game and there was one of the kids playing on, the, on one of the teams that played hockey and he's pitching and I'm standing behind a umpire and he turns around in between innings and he goes, Phil, did you really take off all your equipment during game once? And I said, oh my God. <laughs> no. I said, yes, I made it. I made it. The so, story has been passed down. I wonder if it's still being passed down now, but that was a cool moment for so sure Cambridge Youth Hockey game. legend game winning goal holy shit what a fucking game that was that was, yeah that was a wild game I'm pretty sure we were either 5-1-4 or 5-1-3 the whole game just shorthanded the whole game like no matter what we did there was a penalty like it was ridiculous oh, yeah. it was unbelievable um, unbelievable one other one we have to talk about and it's kind of on my behalf so I gotta hear your story of it the uh, Sean Young incident with Coach Kelly and the Ringer Latin hockey team you mean you almost killed a guy, right? That incident? I, I mean, I like to refer it as the Sean Young incident, but if you label it differently, then so be it. Well, dude, I was fucking sore for a week thanks to all the skating he, you fucking got us into. <laughs> so, KC was in a drill, and it was like a non-contact drill. We had this idiot on our team. 
Not a bad guy, but just just a fucking meathead. One of the worst players on the team. And that was saying something at Ridge to be one of the worst <laughs> players on the team. So he comes up and just levels, levels Casey from behind, like in a non-contact drill. So I was like, oh, shit. And, you know, our fucking assistant captain just getting fucking leveled by the last guy on the bench. So Casey gets up and we just see him. I'm looking at Joe Bergen on the team. And I'm just like, oh, my God, Casey is fucking pissed. And you just have that posture like a fucking bull. You know, you're just... <laughs> Your, your fucking knees are crouched, dude. Your fucking shoulders are all hunched up, dude. You're just fucking seeing red. Next drill, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be bad. Sure enough, Sean Young comes down the ice. And I still remember the angle that I saw you at taking four strides to fucking flatten him. <laughs> and the sound was just dead. And everyone just goes, and there was this fucking hush. <laughs> Kelly blows the whistle. Fucking his Irish fucking ruddy face is all red. And he goes, that was not legal. And then he starts screaming at us about blah, 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 the fucking team. Get on the fucking line. We're going to fucking skate the rest of practice. And sure enough, we fucking skated that last 30 minutes. We we had to work. But that was that was something. I don't think I've ever seen you that pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and I that's mean, saying something as well. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there's been a lot of years of some anger built up. But, yeah, it was just one of those things of, afterwards while talking to kelly he's like what the fuck happened and i was like that fucking cocksucker like he, he comes up and the guy's never hit anyone in his fucking life and we're in a no contact drill and he and he puts his leg out to hit me in the fucking knee that i just came back from yeah, from behind yeah and that it was, was fucking, like yeah, it was fucking brutal oh yeah. <laughs> but, but that one was a little ugly um but that was that was one of the most vicious hits i've ever seen Oh man! Unfortunately, it was thrown in practice. Like that's the worst part about it. Like it could have been way better if it was a practice hit. Um, that is true. I, I also need one other interpretation from you of uh, so our junior year when I mean our lineup was kind of just all over the place, day to day, practice to practice. You never knew what jersey was going to be in your stall as to which line you were practicing with. I, I need your uh, Nick Mandrick impersonation of when we had to exchange jerseys for the second and third line. <laughs> oh, my God. So, for context, Nick Mandrick, you, you guys understand, Nick Mandrick, although he, he's a perfectly fine guy, good friend, he we call him the rapist because he had these, <laughs> like, really long fucking, like, just like pale, like, like pale fingers. That he just, he just had this creepy look to him, you know. Like he always wore shorts, no matter what the temperature was. Like he, he was just an odd guy, and so he really only did one thing, and that was he had this one move where he would kind of bring the puck across and put himself in a position to shoot. And his shot was all right. So a couple games he was able to score, but he really didn't do anything else. So you, so you're exchanging the jersey because that was all he really did, and he is fucking pissed. And he fucking goes off in his voice, and he's like, this is fucking bullshit. I have the most goals per shift in the whole fucking GTL. <laughs> and me and Bobby Chris are just looking at him like, yeah, cool. Cool, dude. Yeah. And that was it. I don't think he ever played on the second line again the rest of that season. I think Kelly buried him after that because he made his displeasure apparent. I mean, <laughs> but, dude, he, he was quite a character. If we Quite can, character. he was definitely a character. If we can go back and discuss some um, awkward things that happened in the locker room, but I mean nothing too graphic as to who, what, where, when, why. I have one just because you said Bobby Cristo. Do you remember when Smokin' Smitty pointed out that he had a cut on his dick? I, I dude, the Smokin' <laughs> Smitty stories. I mean, that was he. He, he was. <laughs> He was the gayest dude I've ever seen in, in any circumstance. And as and as the people that know me will tell you, you're going to say really more gay than you. And I'm like, yes. Yes, he was. He was actually gay, I think. But yes. <laughs> the time Bobby Christo. What a player. I mean, I, I, I love Bobby Christo. I loved him as a, as a teammate and, and as a player. But yes, he got hit in the, in the cup with the shot. And he's got a cut on his dick. <laughs> and so he just points right out of her crossfire and goes, Bobby do you know you have a cut in your penis? And Bobby never meant to say too many words. Just covers himself and goes, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. And then turns his back, turns his back away from Smitty so he can never comment again on any cuts on the front of his penile area. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, I, yeah, there were some other Smitty stories. I mean, remember when he cock slapped Ben Dawson? 
remember that. <laughs> oh, dude, he he made it fun. He made it fun. But what what <laughs> what a fucking gay guy, dude! Oh my god, spoken speed. I wonder what he's been up to. I mean, he's probably in jail somewhere. That that would be my assumption, but. Yeah, I would put good money on that as well. <laughs> um, any other stories or good times you want to touch on before we wrap it up here? Oh man, I mean, I remember the old tradition, and now and nowadays, 2019. Oh my God, the athletic director, the coach, all the, the team, the team would be disbanded for this. But the year, the my freshman year, when you were still at MC, we had this tradition where the person closest to the locker room door—it was always a freshman—would get pushed out of the locker room naked. Usually, in front of the cheerleaders, the opposing or or uh, the girls' hockey team who practiced after us. So Nick Wiggins, Wheezy, sat closest to the door. And so one day, getting undressed, and I sat to his right. So I was second. Thank God, I was second from the door. So I'm getting my skates untied, and one of the coaches goes, "Open the door!" And I was like, "What?" He goes, "Open the fucking door!" And so I move out of the way, and like I crack the door open, and sure enough, four guys from behind. Shove Wiggins out, ass naked in the locker room, and he's fucking and and dude, it was like fucking frantic. It's like a panic room. He's just slamming on the door outside, and then finally we all let the door go. He fucking person <laughs> falls over the stick, like all the fucking sticks fall over. It turns out the girls' hockey team was outside and did see it, so that was that was made for some fun conversations outside. Yeah, that would that would not have happened today, but that was a memory that always stick with me. Is is Nick Wiggins getting shoved out naked in front of the girls' hockey team? That is certainly awesome. certainly would have led to some firings and resignations in 2019. Oh my god, that's all time. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, we we've had some good times, man. We have had some some good times throughout the years. Holy shit! Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Anything good, like really good, that we didn't touch on? I don't know. All those stories are pretty good. Like those are those are top notch that we have going right now. Yeah, I mean, our, our team with Danny Poirier. I mean, we had Chicky punching parents. We had me telling him I was gonna bang. I was gonna bang the other team's moms. Like we were, we were a fucking psych- bunch of psychos that year. Oh, we were a bunch of fucking crazy t- kids. I don't know. Sully it, just getting into shit every game. I don't know if it was Poirier's team or if it was uh, Mark Schiano's team. Do you remember the time when I got the uh, penalty at Merrimack College and I went in and she's like, "Hey, what's your number?" and I gave her the digits. She oh, never. She yes, I. You know what? I don't, I wasn't there that game. I did hear that story though. She that never story, called. That story got to me. Never called. <laughs> we used to have some cute scorekeepers back in the day at Valley Four, man. Valley Four, Wilmington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the good old days. You know, when you really wanted to get like a slice of pizza or a fry before the, before the game. You know, now it's frowned upon. But back then, that, that was the way to go. That was. That was. Man, some good times. Some good times. Oh, well, do, do you have any shout outs this week? Uh, shout out this week. Shout outs this week. Um, I, I wonder if he listens. So... Because sometimes he, he's, he said he keeps telling me he's going to listen. Now, I've just been catching up myself, actually. It's after school, um, working as a teacher, I listen, I listen, I've listened to the season podcast. I don't know if he's listened, though. Shout out to Sam Shiano being a bitch for shooting the puck over the glass from the hash marks in rec league hockey and for being able to drink more beer than any Asian I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Sam. Sammy is a unit. He is a big, thick boy. And yeah, I mean, minus the color, you would be like, wow, this guy should be a fullback on like a football team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and absolutely. does he long fucking flow and everything too? Does mm-hmm. he still have that pubic hair flow? He does. He does. He does. He's still rocking it. Still very proud of it. I mean, my God, it, it, at this point now, it should be like uh, the Iceland coach's slick back hair. That like it should be like that. <laughs> yeah man for real for real uh shout outs for me this week thank you for coming on and doing this with me uh i I figured if we're gonna have somebody on i need someone with knowledge i need someone with crisp clarity oh actually jesus christ that just brought up a great story that i probably can't bring up on this podcast but i'll talk to you about it after um Big Red, as always, we just had our seventh year wedding anniversary, so shout out to her for dealing with me every day. The woman is a saint. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. We went away for the weekend. It was very nice. And um, everybody, as always, thank you for listening. 
thank you for taking time out of the day. Like I said, I apologize for this turn into a Bruins love fest, but sometimes these things happen. Benny, I'm coming for that ass, baby. You you, you better be getting home soon. That that's all. <laughs> Where is Benny? Uh, as of today, he was in San Antonio. He was in the River Walk, so uh, he he's coming back slowly but surely. Ah, uh, no. Well, tell him if he ever wants, you know, another taste of that Asian persuasion. He he knows who to call. I will let him know. I mean, he may be calling you for uh, Friday matinee tickets because I mean, if anyone Ooh, needs, that's right, Black Friday, right? The Bl- Black Friday game. Black Friday game. I mean, Benny was looking online, said, you know, this shit's a little steep. I said, I know a guy or two. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, tell him to get in touch with me for sure. All right. Well, are, are you going away for the? I know it's months ahead of time. Are you heading out to Iowa or are you staying local? Uh you know, I'm not. I'm not sure yet, to be honest. Um, uh, Casey and I, the the lady and I, might be be making some plans. Um, definitely would love to get away. I mean, you know, the uh, school year is definitely in grind, so you love having those breaks. We might be getting away, so yeah, those tickets might be might be up for grabs. Haven't sold them yet. Well, we'll bring them this way if uh, you are not able to get rid of them. Benny, see, I'm thinking of you. It's going to be great. If you don't go away, Phil, and you're still around, that weekend we plan on having a uh, like a 2, 5, and 10 listener party, so we might just have something at the house. Maybe back in your basement for all time's sake. I mean, that was where um, Game 7 of 2011 happened. That was where the magic happened. I- I'm pretty sure I may have kissed you maybe a little bit with tongue. It was a great night for me. It was all right. It was. It was. There were. There were no rules and no limits on that night, my friend. Nothing. <laughs> nothing was off limits. <laughs> yeah, and neither was work the next morning. So we'll leave That's that right. as is. Fucking definitely. Uh, everybody, we will catch you all next week. Be safe. Love, peace, and hair grease. We'll catch you all then. <laughs>